Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? How's it going? What's happening? Are you all right? How are you? Good morning. How's breakfast? You all right? You at lunch? Are you jogging? Are you running? Well, you better get in pretty good shape to run from what you're going to have to run from. I don't think there's any getting away. Pow! I shit my pants. JustCoffee.coop. Classic plug. We're doing the classic plugs. Going to do an Adam and Eve plug in a minute. So I'm a little tired, man. I, my, I'm old and my shoulders hurt. My shoulders hurt because I did the duffel bag thing. I went to San Francisco for two days. Me and Kevin Christie doing the shows. Bay Area. I want to thank everybody who came out to the shows in Napa at the Uptown Theater. What, what a great show. Had a great time. A lot of excited people, a lot of people just getting out for the first time. San Francisco at the Palace of Fine Arts, great people working at both venues, but uh, I was happy everybody came out. It was great. You can just definitely feel, obviously, we're still in the pandemic in a lot of ways, but but people are kind of uh, getting their legs back, and I appreciate everyone coming to the shows, all right? I want you to know that. I just wanted you to know that. Okay. Today, Andy Garcia is here. Uh, You know Andy Garcia. You know him from The Untouchables, from Godfather 3, the Oceans movie. He's got a very interesting background, which includes time at the Comedy Store. Did you fucking know that? I didn't know that. He's always great whenever he shows up in movies, isn't he? He's in this new movie, Big Gold Brick, and he's the best thing in it. He's just, he acts the fuck out of things, man. And I don't know why I never talked to him. Why? I don't know. Does anyone talk to him that much publicly? I never see him around. I remember watching him in that movie, Internal Affairs, with Richard Gere. That was a nasty movie, man. Nasty movie. But I got to watch this 8 Million Ways to Die. I didn't realize it was a Hal Ashby film until he got pulled off it. I learned that from Andy Garcia. But yeah, so I've been in the Bay Area. I went to uh, SF MoMA, Tauba, Tauba, Tauba Auerbach. There's a huge retrospective, a full show. A full, what do you call it, survey show of Tauba Auerbach. She works in all the mediums. She paints, she weaves, she makes sculptures, she made a giant, like, pipe organ instrument, she does graphics, she does uh, writing, calligraphy, almost sign painting, she does all kinds of surfaces. It's a giant exhibition. You just, it's immersive. 
It's fucking genius. Totally fucking new. Totally well-referenced in the history of things and of art, but just mind-blowing. What an amazing thing to go see new art. And don't say, so don't say, I don't get it. There's nothing for you to get. Shut up. Take it. You don't have to get it. Just take it. Open up the mind-o, bozo. Let those ghosts in. Yes, the art workers. But it was so great, man. So much stuff. I bought a poster even. I bought a book. Tauba Auerbach. I can't even explain it to you. It just, she does all things. A lot of colors, all abstract. There's no time for, for forms, for people. There's some letters. There's definitely some letters. But that's as, a, that's as identifiable as things get. There's a wood organ. There's a hanging thing. But just a lot of colors, textiles, things that look like computer things that aren't computer things. I can't even, I can't even get my whole mind around it. Then there's a big photography show there. It was just great. Kevin knows his shit about art, so we were riffing. Great. It was just a relief. But here's what happened. So I lived there a long time, and I haven't been back in a while. Saw my friend Jack Bulware. I haven't hung out with him in a while. But he's like, where do you want to eat? And I'm like, you know what, man? Let's, let's do a burrito. Let's do it. Let's go do it. Let's go to the burrito place we always went to when we were younger, and we always go to when we hang out. It's been years. Let's go to Cancun down on Mission Street. So we go, I get the straight up burrito. I don't get the super, no avocado, no sour cream, no cheese, just straight up, you know, rice, beans, the meat, pretty much. And I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you, you know, about halfway into my forearm sized burrito, I realized deep in my heart that that was going to be the last burrito I ever eat. That was it. It's over. No more burritos for me. It's not like I eat a lot of them. But I'm talking any kind. You got to get halfway into that last burrito that's the size of your arm, San Francisco style. If you're going to have that moment where you're like, this is it. This is over. It happened. So that's a pretty monumental moment. In Napa, I bought a few records at a thrift store. Kind of an antique kind of, uh, you know. An upscale thrift store run by three ladies, it seems, like middle-aged ladies. They had a bunch of records, right? So I bought re- I bought like five records, bring them up to the counter. One of them didn't have a price tag on it. I'm like, so what are we going to do? And they're like, well, uh, and I'm like, are these someone else's records? Yes, she's not here. I think. Maybe her name was Jenny. I don't know. And I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? I kind of want to buy this Mary McCaslin record. And I looked it up on Discogs. It's a reissue of a 1969 record that came out in 1980 with a different title. I looked it up on Discogs. And I knew what the price was. The highest price paid on Discogs was like 10 bucks. And this woman's like, well, maybe we should call Jenny. And I'm like, all right. So they try to call Jenny and they leave a message and I'm standing there. I don't have all day, but I have more time than I should because I'm there early. And then one of the other women says, I don't know if Jenny, we can get her that way. Did anyone text her? Because I don't think, I think we have to text her from the iPads. And this becoming a group effort. There's much technology involved to try to get hold of Jenny to figure out the price of a record. I know tops out at 10 bucks. I could have just given them 20 and 
but I don't know if she would have believed me. And then she checked some master list. One of the ladies said, I think it's $16. And I'm like, there's no way there's $16. Again, could have just paid it and got out. They're like, uh, well, we're going to track down Jenny. And then some other woman from uh, across the room goes, I just got hold of Tommy. Who's Tommy? Well, Tommy is sometimes, they're kind of boyfriend and girlfriend, but he's like, he's sort of Jenny's boyfriend and maybe he can find her. And I'm like, this is really something. This is going to take some time. And the woman's like, are you going to be here till tomorrow? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I didn't, I wasn't being a dick, but it was this kind of pace that I was not used to where, you know, this could have gone on a while. And uh, I realized this is why people live in Napa. This is exactly it. Not only is this happening, but it's going to be talked about later. We couldn't find Jenny anywhere to price this record. We've got to maybe shift store policy around some of these records. We got to double check that all these records. And then finally, Tommy, I guess, gets hold of Jenny. And and uh, the woman who was talking to me initially about $16 says, well, it's $8. I guess you're right. I guess I was. I guess I was. What a day. I'm glad I didn't have to stay the extra day to uh, to wait on the price of the Mary McCaslin record. So, Andy Garcia. I was a little intimidated, but he's not that intimidating. Maybe he is. He probably is, but I didn't feel it. He was ready to talk. He seemed to be uh, seemed to be into it. I think his daughter. This sometimes this happens that, that the the offspring, <laughs> the kids are a fan of the show and they talk the dads into it or the moms. So I think my understanding is his daughter. The actress, one of them, uh, likes this podcast, so she got the she got the old man to to make an exception to his basically uh, not doing much press life to do my podcast. So it was an honor. The film he's in that uh, he's out promoting is called uh, Big Gold Brick. It's in theaters and on demand this Friday, February twenty fifth. This is me talking to Andy Garcia. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. I watched that that, that movie, The Big Gold Brick. Uh. <laughs> now, I don't. It made me feel like I haven't watched movies in a while. <laughs> it's uh yeah so when something like that comes along though like how do you make a decision because you're great the whole thing's kind of interesting but it's an odd movie it's, so, very, it's a very odd movie so yeah. how does that happen though that they, they're just sort of like it's a script that comes to you and somebody, yeah well it, uh oscar isaac yeah who's in the film playing this sort yeah. of dr strange love character yeah at the end at very, the end yeah, yeah. And he's very good friends with uh, director Brian Petzos. They've yeah. done several shorts together. They got oh, okay. a lot of attention and stuff. Okay. So he sent it over and he said, hey, I'm doing this thing that I'm also producing. And 
Brian and I would love for you to take a look at it to yeah. play this character, Floyd. So I read it, and because uh, you know, it was Oscar's a friend, I respect his yeah. taste, and he's a great actor. Yeah, I read it, and I called him. I said, uh, "I have, I have, I have no idea what this is about." <laughs> and I said, "I don't, I don't know. I, I couldn't get a handle on the character." As I was reading him, sometimes yeah. you get hooked in and yeah. then you're kind of in it and you, you have that first experience in the read. Yeah. You kind of see yourself right. or understand it somehow or at least be touched. You know, something touches you that you go, you say, I don't know. But in this case, it was like, I, I have no clue. So we talked a little bit. And I'm yeah. going, I think it's like, and I think it's this. And yeah. Oscar, you could, Oscar would go like, yeah, man, that's it. That's it. And I go, are you sure? I go, yeah. Anyway, then I started talking to the director and it was the same thing. I'm yeah. not sure. And then finally, I said, well, you know, maybe the thing is that you have to do it in order to f understand who he is and kind of throw yourself into it. And that's basically what I did. You know? Well, yeah, but what were the things that you think this is it? Like when you when you first got a handle on that guy who was sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you'd call him a con man or... or uh, yeah, uh, you can. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it that, what was the handle to the guy that you just th started to realize? Well, you know... It seems, as I reflect back on it, because yeah. it's been a while you right, know, right. since I did it, you kind of, you know, as, as Sanford Meisner used to say, you know, live live truthfully within imaginary circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, you got to accept yourself as the guy. Right. And you got to step into the situation as the guy. As you right. have to accept, I am, yeah, yeah. I am this dude, and yeah. I have to deal with yeah. what's going down. So everything that comes your way, you're dealing with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so that's an important thing in any character. You have to really accept yourself. But it's sort of funny, the confidence of the guy, but also that this strange sort of vulnerability to the guy and that he cares about this kid. Yeah. That he hit with the car. Yeah. And But there's uh, but there's boundaries. You know, there's something, it, it was uh, it was kind of endearing, the whole thing. Yeah, well, he, you know, at, at the end of the day, I guess the, the overall sort of metaphor or, or underlying current of the yeah. movie is that this chance encounter by me hitting this kid yeah. with a car and I yeah. take him into my home yeah. happens to be a writer. So I figure as you know, my character says, well, why don't you write my biography that right. I'm, that I'm going to make up? Right. I'm going right. to make up my life and you're going to write about it. But, but, Maybe we'll make some money. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. But the trapping, <laughs> the trappings of your life become very interesting. Right. You know, exactly. like, like right out of the gate. It's like, what the hell is this guy? Yeah. So, you know, I, I thought it was good. Meisner, did you study with that guy? Not with, uh, I wouldn't call Meisner that guy. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I know, no, like, I know, I've I talked know. to a lot of people yeah, no. that study with him directly, but it seems I like- I never studied with him directly. He's a generation older than you. Yeah. I studied with people who were student, students of his that then, you know, also taught afterwards. Yeah. But that, that was your primary kind of thing? That was one of mine, you know. I, you know, I tried to expose myself to, you know, the method, and yeah. and I sat in, in some classes with Stella Adler, never actually- you know, put work up in front of her, but here? I ordered it here in Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, so you know, I observed there a lot, yeah. not a lot, a couple of times. I studied with, with with Jose Quintero. I studied with a lot of guys. First, when I first got here, one of the things I did was in you know, talking about Los Angeles in yeah. the late seventies. I started. Uh, I was. Uh, I got involved and became a, a member of a house improv group at the Comedy Store. What year was that? 78, 79, or So how did you come to the comedy store? You never did comedy, did you? Did you do stand-up? No, just never. improv, no. So how does that happen? Because you had to, did you have I to- I started, yeah, I was just trying to, you know, find 
places where I can exercise my shit. And, but but how does it happen there? Because it's a weird place. You know, I spent a lot of time there. There was a doorman there. And, I think know. that someone told me about it, you know, the that they had these improv groups. Oh, and, okay. And we started studying with some of the guys that came from Second City, you know, in workshops. and Over there, huh? Over there in their houses, you know. But yeah, we, did, I you took know a bunch of, did you meet Mitzi and all those people? That, sure. <laughs> I worked for her for a while. You did? Yeah, I was on the phones. Me too. Yeah, and she fired me right away. Right. She said, "Who's that guy with the accent?" <laughs> Look at this. I got I've, I got hold of her driver's license. Oh, fantastic. that's from 1973. Oh my god, isn't that crazy? Yeah, because they did a documentary on her, and like I'm kind of you know yeah. mildly obsessed sure. with the place because I was a doorman there for a while yeah. way back, but I still worked there every were, night. Was uh, were you there during that time? 78, 79? No, 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 I didn't get out here that first time until uh, the 80s. And I was only here for about a year and got all you know screwed up on cocaine and left. But it was a good place to get screwed up on cocaine, the comedy store. So It's the only place. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did the phones, I did the door, I did all that shit. But that's interesting. So you yeah. were there for a while. Yeah, and you know, in that time we were there uh, in the main room. Yeah. Uh, we performed in the main room. And right. in the original room, after we performed... Uh, you know, we had a lot of guys like Marty Short and Robin who yeah. used to come by every, every all the time. He was was doing, it the Comedy Store players? We opened for them. Okay. We were called the invited guests. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and, and then sometimes it would like cross over and people wouldn't show up and then you would kind of join. You know, it was a- It's crazy. But uh, Marty Short was there, uh, Betty Thomas. A lot of cats would come through. But after we do our, our set, I would always go to the original room yeah. and sit in and watch the comics. Yeah. And when I was, had nothing to do, you know, on an, another night, I would swing by because I always had friends already that were there yeah. and they were performing. But, you know, you can, on any given night in those days, you yeah. had, and I'll leave a lot of people out, but Bob Saget, God rest yeah. his soul, just yeah. passed away. Yeah, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, you know, David Letterman. Sure. Jay Leno. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Larry David. Michael, were they there? Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton was definitely there. Uh, yeah, yeah. This guy named Barry Diamond that was Barry very funny. Barry Diamond. Yeah, he sings at the end. Charles Fleischer was Fleischer, there. Fleischer, sure, yeah. Jeff yeah. Altman. Jeff Altman. Yeah. Sam Kennison. Sam, yeah. And my, my partner that I did a lot of sketch work and writing with, his yeah. name was Fred Asparagus. Freddie Asparagus. Yeah. I knew Freddie. He was around. Oh, really? Yeah. He was around a bit. You know, yeah, me and Freddie. Very talented guy. Yeah. Extremely talented. Passed away. Uh, yeah. Him and I, yeah, we sat up there in the Crest Hill. You know the house that Mitzi owned where the comics I, with? I've been up there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know what you do up there. So me and Freddie were- No, up. no, I was, I was just, I, I used to walk by. Yeah, well, I mean, who was living there then? Dice? Who, I mean- Dice was around there. Yeah. Uh, That's crazy. So you have this Lou, old- Lou Deck was a guy that Lou lived Deck. there for a long time. Argus Hamilton. Argus was Argus there. is still there. Yeah, Saw really. him last night. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. I never made the wall. I didn't stick around long enough to oh, make the wall. Oh, you got to make the wall. It took a long time for me to get on that wall. Oh, my God. It was God. very important at the different time. I can imagine. But you were there for a while then. A couple years. Yeah. So is that the first thing you did? Where, where'd you come from? To, what was the right before here? Like when I was in we, Florida, in, in college in Florida, in Florida International. So University. you grew up all in Florida. Yeah. And you, your folks were from Cuba. Yes. We came in 61. So after the debacle, we we were under Castro for two and a half years, and we got lucky. We got out. You know. So how old were you there? Five and a half. So this must be like a, a story in your family of what happened. Like the history of you has is involved with being pushed out of Cuba. I wouldn't be here talking to you today if I didn't get out. Yeah. Well, what, how was your what was your father's disposition around it? Around Cuba? Yeah. Well, we we wanted to get out. You know, nobody wants to leave the country they love. You know. Yeah. But when when uh, 
the promise of the revolution was betrayed. You know, it was a you know, it's like a three card Monty kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. We're gonna give you a new democracy, uh, respect the constitution and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. And then it turns into quickly into uh, yeah. a Marxist Leninist, you know, yeah. uh, indoctrination, religion goes away, they confiscate all your property. And then finally around that time they passed passed the law where they the, the rights to your children went to the state. Wow. So once your children were of school age, like at five, yeah. the age I was, yeah. you would go into the state-run schools. There was no alternative. Did you have siblings? Yeah, older. So they were in them? They began, yeah. And, uh, and you know, the state-run school is not really education. It's indoctrination. Right, you know? yeah. There was no God, so you praise Fidel and you praise Che Guevara on the wall. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, and, that kind of stuff. So my father and mother said, we're out of here, you know, and we had, obviously by then they had, since they had nationalized everything in the country, you really had nothing You're there other than the house you lived in if you chose to stay. Wow. And then, so we got on a plane and went to Miami where my uncle was already there. We borrowed a dime. My father, my mother borrowed a dime after they got through customs. Here yeah. And uh, called and said, we're here, you know. Wow. So... Does that like does that mean they they arrive as refugees? How does that work? Yeah, Cuban re refugees, yeah. exiles, poli exiles, political exiles. Political in this exiles. case, sometimes people come in for immigration, permanent immigration. I think the early wave of Cubans were considered that we're going back. Oh, they thought we're they here. would go back. Yeah, we're going back. We're going to wait know, until this gets you resolved. Know, America, America will not let this guy continue in this manner. It's going to resolve itself. Yeah, and you know. And obviously, there were things like the Bay of Pigs and, yeah. and the missile crisis. And then now, oh, before you know it, you know, he had this relationship with Russia and it became a whole Cold War. Yeah. And, and, you know. and was that your parent, was your father wanting to go back? Yeah. All, all Cubans always want to go back. <laughs> it's like the Italians with the old country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be buried in Palermo. Yeah. You know? Have you been back? Huh? To Cuba? I went once after the, uh, about around 93 yeah, they had changed the wet foot, dry foot, this new law. Where now, the only way if you came on a raft, yeah, you had to touch dry land, or else they'd send you back. Right, you could be twenty feet offshore; it doesn't matter. Really? So there was a lot of rafters. To this day, people are still coming in rafts. Now they're coming even in through Mexico, Mexico in the Rio yeah. Grande. You know, yeah. when I went, there was about sixteen thousand refugees that were caught at sea. Mm. And they didn't have, you know, they couldn't send them back to Cuba because they would be, you know, imprisoned and God knows what would happen. So they had them at Guantanamo, the naval base, yeah. trying to figure out where do we put these people. And if you had relatives in the U.S., some, then you kind of got them through or you went to Spain. or Yeah. And we went to do a concert for them there. With I went with uh, Gloria and Emilio Stefan and a gentleman I worked with for many years, a hero of mine named uh, Israel Lopez, known as Cachao. He's a Cuban bass player, composer, uh -huh. you know, father yeah. of the mambo kind of guy. Yeah. Not actually father of the mambo with his brother. Yeah. This. And so, so we went and did a concert. the only time I had been gone. But I was on the naval base. Obviously, I was on the island. Yeah. And saw the island as we approached it from the south side and when you know went for a swim you know because it's there's there was a the coast is there so yeah yeah that was the only time i've been back wow because i mean i mean in the last few years you can you know people go there was a period there was a window yeah. there where people were yes, going yes but you know i've been very critical of that regime uh, they might they might let me in but they might not let me out <laughs> and also what happens is you know you go and if you and this happens all the time any kind of person that's some sort of has any kind of uh, public profile yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or what you might call a celebrity profile. Yeah. When they go to Cuba, they exploit that because 
they're going there just to get to know Cuba, even though it's a mess. Or the, but the people are great and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they get they get you know they use that as propaganda. You see how these people they approve of us. They yeah, they so, they think we're great. They think what right. we're doing is great, and right. they use you that right. way. So yeah. I would never. Who is it? Fidel's brother still? He's still alive, but there's a there's an appointee, a, a president that he he's still the head of the party and yeah. stuff, but he's uh, not public yeah. really. It's uh, this guy Diaz Canal, and you don't have a loyalist, you know, another loyalist sure. to the Castro uh, regime. So you don't have relatives there anymore? No, yeah, no. And you know, although there's a lot of Cubans there that, that say they're my cousin, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Garcias. They, you know, it's a typical thing, yeah. you know, when you say, uh, you know, Mark, oh, yeah, yeah, he's my cousin. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, how did your, how did your family make do, like, when they got here? What, what, how'd they rebuild their lives? Uh, well, my father was a, a lawyer. Yeah. And a notary, which is different in Cuba. Notaries, you know, not everybody, here, you can be a notary, I can be a notary. So you, just you had go- to be a lawyer, you had to, you know, have that degree, and also... Uh-huh. It was a way of keeping track of what goes down in your in your region, you know. Yeah. So they, they, I guess it was a selected or selective title, right? You know, right? And uh, and also a farmer. Okay, what did he farm? Potatoes, cucumbers. Really, a small dairy farm for for the, the small town we lived outside. So he had of some property. He had properties, yeah, that were that were confiscated. Obviously. Oh my god! I can't. And, and yeah. so our house there at the entrance of the town of Bejucal is not is once we left. They turned it into a, like a preschool. It's huh. still there as a preschool. So, what did they do when they got here? How do you? How did we hit the ground? Uh, you know, we literally. I remember them borrowing a dime to make yeah. a phone call. We yeah. called my uncle, and uh, then then uh, my godfather, who was here, who I'm named after, Andy. Yeah, and uh, we said we're here, and he said, "Okay, you know, come. This is where we're living." And we went to. 84th and Harding in Miami Beach. Harding is a street that parallels Collins Avenue, which is you know on the on the beach. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that area is filled with these va- uh, weekend joints that people from the north will come down. Yeah. And you have a what you call an efficiency kind of thing. So you yeah. have it's like a suite. You have a living with a room kitchenette. with a kitchenette yeah. and one bedroom yeah. and one bath. And we got into and you play pay by the week. You know, by right. The, and we got into that. We're six of us. Six. Yeah, including oh, yeah. a grandmother. So grandma, two two siblings. Were they brothers? The older. My older brother Renee is older than me. Yeah, uh, and my older sister Tessie is yeah. also older. Okay, uh, by six years or seven years. So I was younger. Oh, accident? Uh, no. Okay. No, no. <laughs> and my mother was an English teacher yeah. in in Cuba. Oh, okay. So she was able to also help my father who. Did not speak English at all. Neither did we. We had to learn. So you had the whole family that were your grandma too. Yeah, my grandma slept on the couch, and the kids slept on the floor, and my parents slept in the bedroom. And was there a whole community of people there? Yeah, there was a small community of exiles that had come already. Yeah, a lot of Cuban Jews that were there. You know, right? A lot, a lot of the Cuban Jewish community split when the you know for right. the same reasons. Not only liberty, but also they sh- shut down the synagogues too. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that so that we I grew up in an extraordinarily beautiful uh, environment with uh, the embrace of the of the American, especially the Jewish American community, because that's who I lived around me. Yeah, and I was blessed. To me, Miami Beach was a paradise. I was a block away from the beach. You know, yeah. we used to my brother and I used to go at that age, very young. Yeah. You know, he was eleven and I was six. Let's say, yeah. right? We used to go and uh, collect empty. Coke bottles and Pepsi bottles, glass. Uh-huh. Yeah, the glass. Yeah, 
on the beaches, and we crawl and we and then we put it into on a food fair cart, you know, yeah, yeah, like a Vons cart. We yeah. called the food fair, yeah. And then we'd roll it down, filled with bottles, yeah. to the, And we get money in exchange for them, you know, a nickel for sure. the tall ones, and, yeah. And then we go get a burger at Royal Castle, you know. <laughs> that was my brother day. to this day was a great entrepreneur, you yeah. know. And to that, you know, he hit the ground. Uh, you know, running. that was the beginning. Yeah, and my father, like all exiles, he just got he took the first job available, uh, which was at the Fountain Blue Hotel in the janitorial. Fountain Blue, yeah, yeah. Is that, is that did they so redo it, that one? Is it still there? It's still there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you you basically land and you have other exiles that are there, and they go, "I need a job." Yeah, and they go, "Oh, come with me tomorrow." They need help at the Fountain Blue, and that's the way it worked. And he, he started there as a janitor, a lawyer with property goes to being a yeah. janitor. That's the hit. You know what I mean? I yeah, mean, yeah. And all the other, a lot of the other janitors were also Cubans that were already there. They were doctors, and sure, and they had to get their degrees again, and you know, start all yeah, over. Yeah, because you, you know? can't, you can't uh, no, you degree. Can't. To, yeah, and the guy who owned the building I lived in in Queens was a Dominican dentist. Yeah. And he couldn't do anything, you no. know. But it was funny because he, if you had a problem with your stove, you tell him to come fix it, and he look at it and go, "If it was a mouth, I could fix it." <laughs> <laughs> I can't yeah. fix a stove. Exactly. So, what did what was the family business? What evolved? My father began to do many things that are deal, dealt with uh, sort of distribution. He would the first. He 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 went from working. He got a job at a, at, at a caterer. Yeah. Uh, and it was not. It was a caterer that that dedicated himself, that they de- de- dedicated itself to the Cuban community. Mm. And you get these like army tins, you know, that are stacked one on top of the other. Yeah, little tins, and yeah. you have the the soup at the bottom, and then rice, oh, and so then like bananas, like a lunchbox. Yeah, thing. thing right, and they yeah. are stacked on oh, yeah, a rail. Yeah, yeah, and it's called a cantina, basically. Yeah, and he went to work for a guy who had that business. And he managed it for him for a while. This is after you know several you know yeah. jobs. Anyway, he he ended up buying the business from him because oh. the guy wanted to get out. The and cantina, made a deal. yeah, lunchbox business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my father really couldn't fry an egg, but yeah. he, he could manage the business. <laughs> yeah, and uh, my mother, yeah, you know, he was not the cook of the family for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but he, we did that for a while. So every, you know, and and we ate well. Yeah. We weren't getting rich, but everybody right. ate well, <laughs> yeah. right? And uh, a lot we, of leftovers. Yeah, we bring home to Miami Beach, and people who couldn't afford it would come and get it at the house. Oh, you know, the yeah, leftovers. Nice. And, yeah, yeah. And, and then from there, he got a job uh, putting very cheap sneakers from a company called Leeds. Yeah, very cheap sneakers you could yeah. buy for a buck or two. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. On consignment in grocery stores in different places all around Miami. So he'd walk, and, he'd go around to the pitch. in a forty foot truck full of sneakers. Yeah, and he'd go into a grocery store in all neighborhoods, you yeah. know. But you know, uh, Overtown, you know, the Little Havana, yeah. Liberty City, everywhere, you yeah, know. So yeah. culturally different neighborhoods. Yeah. And he pull up and he said, "How many sneakers did you sell?" You sold four. You owe me five bucks. Yeah. You keep the other three. You know, it's a yeah. consignment thing. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd fill it up the sizes right. that were sold out, and then we'd move on to another. And I would go every Saturday with him to help to him, refill you know, to wow. help him. So this is, that was the sneaker racket. Yeah, that was the sneaker racket. And yeah. then <laughs> because he had that down, someone approached him and say, "You can come. You want to be the distributor of these socks." <laughs> that were popular in Cuba. Yeah. Called Once Once Eleven Eleven and Casino. Uh-huh. They're like you've seen them. They're like nylon. They're kind of transparent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, very sure. decorative. And, yeah, yeah. And she so dumped the sneakers and used that same idea as uh, for this the sock guy. Yeah, the He's, sock guy. And yeah. then the sock guy became socks and pantyhose, socks and undershirts, socks, and then became the business. Continued to grow and grow and grow. And then we got into the fragrance business, and that took off. And yeah. 
And that was it, huh? And then my, you know, my brother is the, became the fragrance tycoon. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, we all we all worked in the in the in the you know in the family sure. uh, business. So was it like an import business with the fragrance? Like we, they we, bring we, them in from France? And yes, stuff like it was that? gray market. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was it. That's how he built his business. Yeah, and then it grew into other parts of the. You know, he was the head of Halston, and you know, it became you know, the head of what? Halston. He, he was he was a main distributor for oh, okay. people like for Halston. Halston you know, sure. Yeah. Not gray market. Normal people came to yeah. him because he was you know doing very well. He knew the thing. Yeah. That's great. So how do you like? So you you end up an actor. Your your brother's a business guy. Yeah. And what's your sister do? She's an interior designer. Retired now, but she's oh. award winning interior designer. See, I, I've got a new appreciation for that recently. Interior yeah. design. I was just at a hotel in New York, and I'm th- I thought like, geez, I gotta. <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Oh sure. To live in a place where you like looking at it, even if you don't go in the room, it's nice to just look in the room and go like, it's a pretty room. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I can't afford it, but it's beautiful. <laughs> but how what, much to sleep on the towels <laughs> so how do you end up like deciding to do acting I was already acting in college that was a bug I had and that, that. But in high school you're working all the time yeah, all through high school and stuff you're working for your father doing I was this working and that. for my dad and playing basketball I played basketball in high school good point guard okay for Miami Beach yeah senior high yeah and then uh, my my senior year yeah which is kind of the year that you go, okay, this is my year. I'm going to, you know, make maybe, some decisions. Yeah. And also, like, maybe I can play in a little small college. I'm going to say, hey. You oh, know, you mean high up. school? Yeah, yeah. 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 And and maybe I can keep playing, you know. Yeah. In yeah. School. Sure. I got a very bad case of mononucleosis and hepatitis. Oof. Uh, Almost die? No, no. Okay. But I was out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it was right at the beginning of a basketball season. So I didn't play a lick of basketball the whole. And then I took an acting class in high school during that time. When you couldn't play? Right, and you were tired. It was, it was, uh, it was uh, yeah, it was uh, an elective. We're weak and tired. Yeah, <laughs> which is the best place to start as an actor because you know? you're vulnerable. Yeah. You're open. Leave yourself alone. Yeah, and so I took a class and I was, uh, I had a lot of fun with it. And the teacher Jay Jensen encouraged me a lot. He was very encouraging. No one in school had ever been encouraging before to me you know about anything. Uh, no, in basketball uh, I was good, but I'm yeah. talking about like studies. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, sure, yeah, and. Uh, and he and he said, you know, you 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 should take take this take more serious, serious yeah. kind of thing. And obviously, it's like you know how it is. You it awakens this thing inside you like a virus. It taps into it, and then it kind of if you don't deal with it, yeah. or, or in, the desire to learn was very uh, intense for me to learn how to do this and and the dream of maybe you know well, you trying to like, do this for a living. You know, right? Well, I mean, you have that drive because you you know the way you came up was you know the way you came up with your your dad going through all that and you yeah. know having to make yourself. But it's it's interesting with acting because it's a tricky thing to to learn. I mean, you got right. It's hard. It's yeah, really hard. I mean, you got you know you got to have an. Uh, there's a lot of natural talent, obviously, but but when you want to apply yourself with the same ambition and focus that you would business, it's a little vague, right? Completely vague. <laughs> <laughs> completely vague and you know even though you have you might have uh, you know like if you're in sports it's like he's coordinated you know right sure anyway, and you can, can say make, the, make yeah. the shot he's coordinated the- but he's you know yeah in acting, you got to learn the craft. You know, it's, you know, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's you know, it's a thing you got to go through. And it's you gotta, a personal choice too, like how you do it. Yes, right. Yes, I mean, there's no one craft with basketball. You know, you run around, you do the drills, yeah. and you take the shots. You have natural. Yeah, but ability. learning, learning the craft of you know that sense of truth. You know, and the sense of being able to be centered and, and grounded and comfortable and create a character and yeah. know where, where where to go with it and all those things. It's like it is a it is an art form. You well, know? yeah, but I mean, but my point is, 
is like after I talk to a lot of guys and women too, is that you know you take you build your own craft from the stuff that you absolutely right. There's yeah. no like you know here's the template. No, no, no. Yeah. You expose yourself to all the templates. Yeah, and you you start getting hopefully a deeper understanding of them and so and so, of yourself. You know, but I guess that's the truth of it. That's finding the truth. You know, yeah. being honest with yourself. So in high school, you got the bug, and you were doing like you you know I wouldn't imagine the big work. No, no, I didn't. I just had the one class. In, you know, when I went to college from there, I kept studying. And well, then wait, eventually, how'd that, how'd how'd that go? Like, wait, they're studying. Not, not good. <laughs> <laughs> but I was very enthusiastic. I wanted to learn. You About know? acting. Yeah. So you go to university, which college? Miami Dade South. Okay. Community college, and then a two year university, FIU. At that time, was only a two year school. Okay. Last two years. Yeah. And they had an acting program? They had acting classes at the community college, and at the FIU, they had an acting program. I bet you they don't even have those anymore at the community college. Yeah, I'm sure they do. You think so? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's electives, you know. It's not sure. a- Sure. Yeah. But was the teacher any good? Did you- did, did, it, did you... Better than me. <laughs> <laughs> you, had to take, you had to take the advice then yeah, from I, them. I, I was trying to- And then, of course, you have things in your life that change your life, you know, that- and. Uh, and films had done that for me since I was a kid. There was, I was very, I didn't know how into it I was. And that was inside of me saying, that's what I want to do, you know? Yeah. And it, when I was awakened, then I realized, oh. It's possible. No, I don't know if it's possible, but that's what's calling me, you know? Yeah. Like what, uh, what film has had the most impact? On well, you? it started early on, you know, yeah. obviously, well, I was even knowing, you know, yeah. it started with, you know, Sean Connery and then yeah. James Bond and The Great Escape. And then you it, get to work with him. All of them. I got to work with him. I got to work with, uh, with James Coburn, who was a big hero of mine too. You remember yeah. our man Flint? Sure. The Magnificent Seven yeah. and all that. And, yeah. And of course, out later on, you know, The Godfather was so influential in everybody's life. Sure. And I got a chance to work with Francis and with Al. But like, I've so, got to you know work you know Bobby Duval and yeah. all these people. It's biz- it's it's uh, it's absolutely uh, a ridiculous notion that that I'm sitting here with you, yeah. recalling this stuff because it was just a a dream of a of a somewhat shy kid, I guess. Yeah, to say that's what I want to do. And uh, so that within the in when did you first do your first? Unless play? I'm living some altered reality, that, you might be after that movie. Uh, you might enter some. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, and that I'm just imagining all my in my entire life. You know. Well, some people think that's uh, that's it, but I, I'm pretty sure you're living it because I've witnessed some of it. Yes, but if you're also part of that reality, well, just, someone who verifies my own yeah uh, right dementia, I'm part of your dream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what wait, when did I, you do- I wrote a character yeah. that, that, that is catch one of the things he says is kind of a noir character yeah. and he says your dreams are a way of escaping reality unless your dreams are your reality oh yeah great that's your guy <laughs> that's my guy that's the guy I wrote <laughs> what so when did you do your first show like a play did you do a play or I, were they in all college seats? yeah in college I was doing plays in college yeah yeah did you love it yeah, it was incredible. It was you incredible. Do, have, have you done much theater lately? I did uh, right before the pandemic hit. We we closed the show at the Geffen, based on an idea I had for a long time on on putting doing an adaptation of the movie Key Largo for the stage. Oh yeah, and uh, I was having lunch with with the guys there, the artistic directors, and at the Geffen. Yeah, and he said, well, "What do you?" you go? I say, yeah, "I'd like to do something here." And he goes, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "You know, I always had this idea about you know." 
Key Largo because it takes place in one place. Is that G. Robinson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Humphrey Bogart. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was based on a play. Yeah. Initially. Uh, Did you find it? The play? Yeah. And, and so it was a play and then there was a screenplay and we use both those things and then also some new ideas uh-huh. that are are not in the screenplay and they're not in the in the in the play or the movie. You play the heavy? I play the Edward G. Robinson role. So I mentioned to him, they said, that's a great idea. We'll get a dramaturg. You can work with him. What can you do it? I went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my big mouth. Me and my big mouth. So we did it. It was great. It was great to get back on stage. I hadn't been on stage for a while. You know, It must have been amazing. It was so much fun, yeah. So immediate, right? It's the best. You forget. So like, you forget. You know, I bet. You like, forget. Well, a lot of guys don't do it at all anymore. No, yeah. They did it, they did it be, you know, back in the day in New yeah. York, and then it's done. It's done, yeah. So you were a noir guy, I guess. I love noir, yeah. Yeah. Did you Raymond go see, Chandler, yeah. Yeah, hey, sure. Did you go see uh, uh, Del Toro's? Uh, yes, of course. It's great, right? Yeah, yeah. He's what amazing. Did, he, you know, he's got a, a, he black, and, a yeah. black and white print, too. Oh really? Yeah, he's been taking it around. Oh, I like to see that. Yeah, it's to- yeah, it, you know, he he they added grain. They, yeah, yeah, I'd like to see it too, but I got, you know, I didn't get out there to see it. He's a genius, that guy. Yeah, a lovely guy. I met him Very when nice he first guy. came to LA a long time ago, Tom Luddy, who worked for Francis and and runs the uh Telluride Film Festival. Uh-huh. Said I have a f- young director in, in from Mexico that he yeah. should meet. He just came into town. I said, okay, sure. He came over to the to my little office, which is my old house, and uh, he had a book. Yeah. And uh, first of all, he's the sweetest guy in the Sweet world. Sweet guy. He had this big book, and he started opening up, and it was all his like drawings yeah. and storyboards of all the movies he's made. Yeah. And I saw them there for the first time, the yeah. Hellboy and all these characters. Yeah. He already had imagined them, you know? Yeah. And I, he said, I want to make, I said, I'm around. Call me. Uh, let's do it. You <laughs> yeah. know, it I, I can't finance it. You <laughs> have to call me now. I can't call you. And uh, we still haven't worked together. <laughs> Not yet. It'll happen. I mean, I think I, I did a voice on one of his cartoons. He does it like has yeah, cartoon that, stuff yeah, on yeah. Netflix. Yeah. So when was the first? So did you get booked out of New York initially? Where'd you after college? Where'd you go? I came here right away. Yeah, right away. Yeah, just alone. No, just not alone. right away. I started. Uh, yeah. Alone. Uh, I, I started, my my brother had just opened up a discotheque in Miami with a bunch of friends. <laughs> yeah, the, your brother, the entrepreneur? Yes. Yeah. Called Alexander's. Yeah. And uh, it became the hottest thing in town. Really? They had a dance floor that they built. They, they built it, at the, it was in the bottom floor of the Omni Hotel. Uh-huh. And they had a dance floor like with hydraulics, like in a gas station, you know, like in a oh, garage. Up. Yeah. That you can get on the dance floor on the first floor. Yeah. It was all plexiglass. Yeah. And the, it would take you up to the second floor so, as you're dancing. So this go, is the disco time, like yeah. 70s? This is the 75, 6, oh, 7. This, that's it? Uh, no. Uh, yes. 6, 7. Yeah. Right disco there, time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I worked there the summer of 78. That must have been crazy. For like four months, you know. Was it crazy? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> and I made very good money, you know, tip tip wise in those yeah, days. Sure. I had one one client that would come in with an entourage every night, which was in he was at the time the largest uh marijuana importer in, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. in, in uh in, um, in at least in the southern states, there, maybe in America. There must, there must have been some real characters. Oh man. yeah. And he took a liking to me right away because yeah. I, I tended to him. I was like a maitre d' yeah. sommelier, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he told the my brother's partner, uh, Alex Cachaldor, yeah. uh, who had been in the restaurant business all their life since Cuba. Yeah, very close friend of ours. And he said, uh, "I'm coming back to when I come. I want Andy to take care of me." 
Yeah. So he'd give me $100 when I'd wait for him at the door and he'd shake my hand. Said Andy, how are you? I said, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah. He'd already have a hundred dollar bill in, the, yeah. in my palm. Yeah. And when he left, he'd give me another hundred. Nice. And he was there basically every night. Oh, that's good. So I, I, with that money that I made in those three months before, I, I got on a plane and came to Los Angeles. Did you have friends here? I knew uh, Stephen Bauer. Yeah. Who's locally from Miami, and we were friends. The actor, in Miami, the actor the yeah. from Scarface. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He what? was there already. Here, he had been come. He had come out. Maybe like six months. He's before. a Miami guy. Yeah, Jewish guy. No, Cuban. Cuban guy. Huh. Uh, Echevarria is his uh, father's. His real name Bauer is his grandmother's name. Oh, okay. So and you knew him. I knew him, and he said, "Hey, man, come out here. There's a lot of work." As soon as he got here, they, he had a contact with a manager that knew him. He was yeah. on a show in Miami on PBS called Que Pasa USA. It was a bilingual. He played Manolo in uh, Scarface. Scarface. Yeah. yeah. And he said, hey, man, come out. He has a lot of work. I got already, I got yeah. a contract. He landed. He got a contract with Columbia Pictures Television. They paid it. And I went, I said, I'm out of here. I'm going. To, and I got here and I didn't work for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> seven years? Well, you know, I got a little taste here and there, but it was, it was really Hanging hard. Hanging out at the comedy store. It was hard. It was hard. I got my first, one of my first gigs because of uh, being, you know, showcasing there. Yeah. In the We did the, the pilot of Hill Street Blues. I was on that. You're on the pilot? Yeah. Did you have like a big part? No, but that was your first. Did you have an agent? What did you do for seven no. years? Uh, I, you know, I tried to get work, and it was very difficult. What, what were your jobs? Were you doing? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I loaded trucks, and you know, roadway. Those trucks that say roadway uh-huh. uh, at the C- city of commerce over there on the other side, uh, from seven o'clock at night to seven o'clock in the morning. Oh either load, tr- either load or strip a truck. How the hell did you do that job and still go on additions? Uh, I didn't have any auditions. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But Brian Cranston worked with me on that. Really? <laughs> yeah. At the truck place? Yeah. And then I would I worked for starving students, the movers. I sure I, 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 I laid shingles. I worked for a long time as a waiter at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, a banquet oh, yeah. waiter. Yeah. I would go in. I wasn't like permanent. I go in. I call in. You need someone. They always needed somebody. Well, that's that's determination. You know, acting like I, I you know, I'm a comic. Yeah, that's always what I've been. And I always sort of like. I don't know how actors have the resilience to you know not only not get the job or get the opportunity, but even when you're in it, going out on those auditions. It was very well. It, you know, the opportunities were like today, certainly because. There was five studios. Right. There was no HBO. There yeah. was no cable. Yeah. And three networks and PBS. And yeah. that was it. Right. And for an actor with a Spanish surname, you know. Yeah. Garcia. Yeah. They would bring you in only for parts. First of all, the, you, I didn't have a good agent, you know, so it was hard to even get, you <laughs> what know. What was your first agent like? I, no, they were very sweet. Yeah. I had a couple of them. Yeah. They were so boutique and so small. Right. That I had more than one. Yeah. <laughs> And they didn't care. They didn't care. They didn't, they didn't even know. So, so you get an audition, and you know, at those days, yeah, the only auditions for Hispanics were basically gang members, right? So, even if they by by mistake did not look at my picture, but saw Garcia, and they said, "Call the guy, that Garcia dude," in, and they'd see me when I'd walk in. They go, "What? What are you doing here?" <laughs> Why? Because in the hallway there was real gang members outside. Yeah, right. And you, you, you couldn't sell it? No, yeah. no, I couldn't sell it. You know? And I go, I'm an actor. He goes, yes, yes, yes. We understand. You're an actor. Thank you. We'll, we'll call you maybe something else. There was never something else. You know. So when did so, so the first role was the Hill Street Blues? That was a little bit at the beginning. I'm in, getting in a fight yeah. with some kid and you know, and the camera goes by and I'm screaming. It's yeah, just yeah. a bit. Sure. But I did, I think I ended up doing like 
maybe one or two or three more of those over the hit the tv the, pieces the tv bits yeah the bits yeah, yeah. and uh the ladies there casting people yeah. molly lapata and those guys they yeah. really they liked me you know yeah. they guys see me on stage so they, you know they'd have me in for certain things they saw you at the mary store? tyler moore at the yeah. Store? yeah the mary tyler moore sure. group all yeah. those guys so you know i started getting little bits here and there and you know just kind of staying in the game as much yeah. until i got a real an agent finally a manager how that happened she, she was uh, her name was Phyllis Carlisle and she was Stephen's manager and I got to know her just through Stephen just casually yeah, sure. and she just said you know and Melanie Griffith who was also with her and John Malkovich yeah. Willem Dafoe and, oh yeah so she had a very strong group good, of people good stable yeah, yeah. and uh, Melanie and Stephen would always say to Phyllis you gotta see because we, we were studying together at Meisner with David Provel and they would see my work on stage you know and and Melanie was very supportive, and so Stephen were in her ear. You got it, right? Gotta, sure. You know, Andy, yeah. check out Andy, yeah, yeah. And, Andy, Andy, Andy. Finally, she said, "I want to help you," and she was very helpful because she obviously had could get me in to have a general meeting with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Very. She had a lot of you know contacts. She had a great staff, and once we started working, I was able to you know start getting the casting world started to get to know me right even if it's just casually like right. for a general meeting or putting yourself in their head yeah 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 and that was, that was and, that, and it began to build off of that so you started you studied acting right when you got out here and yes just yes. sort of started stuck with it went to a lot of different places yeah and, yeah for sure always okay so now you got this good manager you got all these peers and people know you went so and you start doing bigger parts no <laughs> No, no. What happened was unique. It was kind of like you know, yeah. you just stay in the game. Yeah. You know what I was doing a lot. Right. I was doing. Uh, I was a member of a, a Walla group. Walla. Walla is all the background voices you put on the movie. Oh, Walla, 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 Walla. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the the groups and you know yeah, every yeah, scene yeah. you got to fill in all the groups. Right. Stuff. So that kept. I had a little. Ba- I had a baby girl. So my wife. When you? Where'd you meet your wife? In Miami. Oh, she's from there. Yeah. So we had she a came child. out here. She came out with after we got married. We, she came out. Okay. You know, so I was making, I was paying the rent and making some money doing Walla two or three times a week yeah. with uh, another great lady who gave me that opportunity, Barbara Harris. So you're in a room full of people, just guys. No, you're actually saying, "Hey, how you doing, man? Come over here." You know, and, right, yeah, sure. and that gets you know dialed down. But yeah, you have yeah, to yeah. fill all this stuff. The background, yeah, yeah. But you get, you know, you get SAG, yeah, after scale, yeah. And then when it reruns, you know, we were doing all the TV shows. Get a couple bucks. You do it, get another full hit. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, right, right. So like three fifty and three fifty for an afternoon's work. And you, you got know? the insurance. Plus the insurance. Yeah. So we did that for a while and then Okay, what happened? Uh oh my my wife saw on TV it was uh Entertainment Tonight. Yeah. First year of Entertainment Tonight. Yeah. And they, they, they were in the kitchen. She yeah. goes, Hey Andy, look come over here. They're doing a movie in Miami. Kurt Russell and Marielle Hemingway called the Mean Season. You should look into that because maybe there's a part in there for you. You know, there's no gang members in Miami, so yeah. but there's Cubans, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I said, I'll look into it. So I called Phyllis and she said, uh, let me check into it. And he goes, you're right. There's a part there for a young detective. The two detectives that are on this case. Yeah. There's a serial killer. There's a journalist that has a relationship with the serial killer. Uh-huh. There, and that was Kurt Russell. Yeah. Marielle was the love interest of his. Yeah. There was uh, Richard Jordan played the serial killer. And me and Richard Bradford, I ended up me- going in to meet Jane Jenkins. And, you know, in this case, I was the guy that was right for it. Right. And that was it. That was it. It was the simplest job to get in the world. Did you feel like you were just you know, had a break? Yeah, that was a break. Yeah. That and was the break. It was, a, it was an actual part where people saw your work, you know. Yeah, yeah. From there, I was able to get in 
to audition for a Jeff Bridges movie that Hal Ashby was doing. Hal uh-huh. was one of my heroes called Eight Million Ways to Die, and I got that part, and that was that was. Uh, but that must have been like how 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 long was that? His last movie, Hal's? Yeah, it was his last movie. Yeah, they took the movie away from him. It was a it was a bit of a mess. No. But you got to meet him and, and spend I got time to, with him? I, I got to jam with him. He was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we improvised the whole... All our scenes are improvised. Really? Yeah. You like doing that? Yeah, yeah. So what was Hal Bashby like? He just he encouraged that? Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. God, he must have been great. He's made he, some the, great he, movies. Oh, amazing. And that, a lot of human... Great human behavior, a lot of resonance. Yeah, yeah. And it's because of that approach, you know? His thing was that you have an objective to the scene. And you, from take to take, you can go at it from different, as long as you achieve the objective and your story continues to be told. Okay, so, so he didn't you didn't care how you got there. Didn't care how you got there. And I never passed judgment on a, on anything you did. First of all, you're, you're flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. What's there to judge? Yeah. Know? So he would never say like, ah, that didn't, that's not, you know, no. Yeah. And he never, he'd just go in and go like, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got that. Try something else and walk away. And if he was really enthused if something happened, he would go like, Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Let's go again, you know. But he wow. never he never put the, the the judgment in your head. Yeah. So you were always free. That's and you great. felt like someone was like gonna catch you and protect you. That's you know? great. I, I wonder if he always worked like yeah. that. Yeah. I did a little research with other people who had worked with him and John Voight and Richard Bradford. And you see the performances all the way back from like The Last Detail. The Last Detail's the with, best. And you see Jack so free in that movie. Right. Yeah. Being there. Yeah, being there is the greatest. Oh my, Those outtakes at the, at the end of being there. He told me that, you know, uh, he told me the story that, because I picked his brain, being there to me was one of the masterpieces, oh, one of my sure. favorite films. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Sellers was, a, you know, another one of those guys I grew up with in the 60s, all the, the way best. through. Yeah. And he said, I said, that script felt like Shakespeare, you know, it's real precise. And he says, oh, no, no. And Peter would come up with stuff, you know. Yeah. He, he says, you know, people, all the cast would just, you'd improvise something, just a thought or whatever. Yeah. And they just took whatever he said, they would take it as the profound truth. Right. <laughs> Just say, you know, don't never deny, right? In, yeah, improvisation. Yeah. yeah. You can't, you, you yes and. no. Yes yeah. and, yeah. Yes and. Oh, that's so great you, to know. So he could say, you know, I feel the walls are moist. Yeah. And they go, that's so interesting, Chauncey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so moist, all, moist walls. That's all improvised. Yeah. Some, yes, yeah, some, but, you know. Jack Warden so was so good. Oh, then. my Jack God. Jack Incredible. So incredible film. I encourage everybody who's never seen that movie to go <laughs> I, there. I watched and the ending was a new ending. The thing about, you know, walking on the water, that, yes. that's a tag he put on. Yeah. Uh, based on that story, he told me, with Rob, Bobby Jones, the, the writer. Uh-huh. He was like, he goes, he could do anything. He could have walked on water and they would have bought it. Right. Know? And he thought, hey, yeah, why not? that's what I'm going to do. And they why went not? back and shot that. Why not? Good tag. Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's great. So when so then after that the Untouchables happens and that's like that's I think that's when I first remember like who's that guy Yeah, I got a lot of, a lot of attention with this crazy character in that movie because he was like a in drug, eight million ways to die. Yeah, he's, I got to watch it now. He's a cokehead, yeah. you know, drug dealer, yeah. you know, powerful yeah. young thug kind of guy and antagonist, and it got a lot of attention. And but did, what was he saying about how losing the movie? He didn't get to finish the movie. No, he they took it away from him because he. He wanted to finish later. He had yeah. delayed the movie. It was one of those split rights. Yeah. Like the foreign rights were sold in Colombia was, uh, and they needed to deliver the movie. And Hal said, I'm like, I can't deliver it without data anymore because yeah. I started late. And they basically took the movie Who away finished it? They hired an editor to finish it. Oh, so it was already shot? It was already shot. Oh, okay. But he, they pulled the plug, so we had to get like 10 days working in four days. And Do you like the movie? I do. 
I gotta watch it. I do, and I, I you know, working with Jeff in those, all those scenes where you know me and oh, Jeff, he's the best, man. and Roseanne Arquette, you know. Oh, Jeff Bridges is so good. And improvising with Jeff, we'd improvise at night in his trailer. We would record it. Oh yeah. And then we'd give it to Hal, and the next morning he said, "I really liked the, you know that thing you guys were talking about." And uh, so that was must have been a blast to yeah. have that freedom. Are you in touch with him? How's he doing? Do you Jeff, know? yeah. He's doing much better. Oh, he good, went through good, a you yeah. know physical, yeah. uh, but he's uh, he's coming out the other oh, side good, of good, it. Oh, good, 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 good. So what? So now you got to go to De Palma. That's a whole different trip, right? I got I got word uh, that uh, they're interested in me in playing Frank Nitti, the killer in the movie. Uh huh. And I read the material and yeah. I said to my agent, "No, no, I want to play that other guy over there." You know. Yeah, the, well, the, the young the, Italian. You're kid. the sharpshooter, right? Or, yeah, the young yeah. Italian. Yeah. Kid. First of all, that's the part that, that attracted me. Yeah. To play the but killer. But you don't want to play the killer? I wanted to play that guy who was one of the untouchables. Yeah. You know, he, no, that, was, that was the James Coburn part. If you think about the original Magnificent Seven, yeah. James Coburn is up against a fence and yeah. someone challenges him to a duel. Yeah. And he has a knife, the other guy has a gun, and he outdoes him with, with the, the knife. knife, right? So he, my, that character of uh, George Stone had that same scene. In the thing, in the sharpshooter scene, it's the, yeah. the recruiting scene, you yeah. Because that struck, you know, that movie is like the Magnificent Seven or the Seven Samurai. Yeah, one guy to right the wrong recruits a bunch of people to go fight. You know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I met, you know, I went to meet Brian and I told him my desires. I auditioned for the part, and yeah. then, and then I got the part. And that, that movie obviously was very successful, so that helps you out a lot. That scene where where uh, De Niro hits that guy with the bat. Oh, it's yeah. very memorable. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot That's of all those times when people get cracked open yeah. with a bat. But that whole, the, all of them sitting there. Yeah, they, with the mammoth dialogue. You yeah, know. you didn't have any scenes with him, though. With De Niro. Only his trial. Yeah. Yeah, in his trial. He's a nice guy, right? Yes, yes, very much. But with De Palma, was that a whole different ball of wax in terms of how he worked? Yes, yes. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, he, that movie was storyboarded when I got yeah, there. Yeah, It was, uh, he had storyboarded himself on little index cards, like stick figures. He knew what it was. He's just like four round faces. Yeah. Here you're sitting in a pew or here you're on horseback. I remember. He says, here you're going to be on horseback. We're going to, before we attack the, and I said, I said, oh, horseback. That wasn't in the script. Yeah. And I said, you know, my character, he's like from the south side of Chicago, Italian kid. He's never been on a horse. Yeah. And he looked at me and said, no, he's an expert horseman. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> when are we doing this scene? <laughs> and he said, oh, in about four weeks. So now I had to, you know, get on a horse in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And figure out how am I an expert horseman? You know, it's actor stuff. Yeah. So I went to the customer and she said, can you find me a tie pin with a horse's head on it? So I could put it right there. Yeah. And then I figured out, I realized, what can I get and equestrian you, lessons? Did you, well, you wore that through the whole movie? Yeah. So I, I said, where can I get equestrian lessons? And I found out that in the Chicago Central Park, yeah. there's horses there. Yeah. So I said, perfect. My grandfather, when he came from Italy, he came from a rural background. Yeah. He went to took care of the horses at the park, and he would take me there on the weekends, yeah. and I would help him, and he got me on a horse, and I became an ho expert horseman. There you go. So I had the backstory, but yeah. now I needed to learn how to ride a horse. And did you? I started going there um, whenever I could and yeah. you know, ride around and, you know. You got it? Well, I, I stayed on the horse. <laughs> watch the movie. <laughs> was it, was it, I got to watch it again. Yeah, watch was that, the movie. Was that the last time you went on the horse? No, no. I've ridden a lot since then. And yeah. I, love, I love riding. But the funny thing was that when we got to the top of the hill, yeah. 
There was four horses there. And uh, Brian says, all right, Sean, pick your horse. It was like a pecking order. You know? It was Sean Connery, yeah. And Sean's, and then the the wrangler said, excuse me, Mr. Uh, De Palma, I brought this uh, the big, largest horse for Sean because Sean is like over six feet, you know, yeah. six two or something like that, yeah. six one. He's a tall guy. Yeah. And then he said, okay, Sean, you take the black horse. And then and he said, all right, uh, Kevin, you pick a horse. And Kevin's a rider. So he started looking at the horses like, which is my horse? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And he picks a horse. Yeah. And then he says, uh, all right, Charlie, Charlie Martin Smith. I was yeah. like the fourth pick. I was yeah. going to be the leftover guy. Right, right. And then the wrangler says, oh, Mr. De Palma, uh, if I may say, I brought this pinto horse, smaller kind of pony yeah. for Charlie because he's the smallest of the group, you know? Yeah. He says, all right, so I guess, and uh, I guess, and Andy will take this horse here. Yeah. This chestnut colored horse. Yeah. And it turns out that the chestnut colored horse that I got was the wrangler's horse. <laughs> And that thing was like the Michael Jordan of horses. <laughs> he can go sideways, backwards, stand up, do a flip. I mean, this horse so was amazing. That's great. Yeah. And when we did our first run across the thing, Kevin very graciously came over to me and said, hey, man, tie your reins so if you let go of them, they don't fall down. They'll just hang on the neck and you can grab them again. Now, I had a uh, Tommy gun. Yeah. Like weighed like 20 pounds. Yeah. A real Tommy gun, yeah. so I, I could not hold on to the to the neck of the saddle with my other hand. I had a gun in my hand and the reins, yeah, and Michael Jordan between my you know <laughs> yeah, between my legs, yeah, yeah, and he's going, yeah, and they went the guns went off and the horses went crazy uh, and we started going across this grassy you know area yeah. that you couldn't see the ground because the grass is like three feet high, yeah, so you, you could be in a hole and you felt the horse negotiating the holes. At full speed, oh, full man. gallop, yeah, yeah. and I'm going. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die here. <laughs> Kevin also said, "Put a matchstick in your brim of your hat inside, so it's tight on your head and it won't blow off." Huh. So I had all the tricks down. Yeah, we get to the end. I, of course, I got there before everybody because it's a horse. Was, yeah. Yeah. And then Kevin came up to me and goes, what's it like? And I'm like going, I made it across, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you try to you have to try to look cool, like Richard Bryan used to say. Yeah, right. that, that bit. I, I ran away from all the time from, from the, the fights, but I ran cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I got to the thing, and Kevin says, hey, man, hold your horse back. You know, we got to get there at the same time. I said, hold my horse back? <laughs> you think he even knows I'm on sitting on top of him? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, how many takes did you have to do? Uh, I, I guess we did, you know, oh, yeah. several. Oh. It was, it was a, you know, it was an ordeal to fast stay learning curve. Oh my god, that horse was amazing. That's a, that's exciting, a, man. Like a Ferrari. That's you know? so exciting. I I remember you like. There's another movie that I remember. I brought it up to my producer. That Internal Affairs movie. Yeah, there's yeah. some dirty shit in that movie. That's crazy. They developed that for me at Paramount. Is it like you and Gear? Gear plays the bad guy, yeah, the Gear, bad cop, Richard and you're the Gear. good cop? Yeah, Gear was incredible in the film. He really was. It yeah. was nasty, man. He was nasty. Yeah. Narcissistic, like malignant narcissism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, they, they they developed that for you? Yeah, I had done, you know, The Untouchables yeah. with uh, Mr. Frank Mancuso over at uh, uh, at Paramount. Yeah. And uh, Gary Lucchese was the head of production at the time. Then I had done Black Rain with them. And, uh, and Michael Douglas? Dead Again with, uh, with Ken Branagh. Michael Douglas, good yeah, actor. Right, he was a great joy. And yeah. Ridley Scott was in that movie. So they had me, you know, I was kind of, they were grooming, you know, yeah. they, they wanted me to stay there. So they developed this, this 
lead and you know, as protagonist. In film. Internal Affair? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I turned him on to Mike Figgis, the director, which I had met and liked his first movie. And and, uh, and then good, they, they cast Richard after that. And then yeah. we went off. Frank Mancuso Jr., my uh, produced the film, who was great, and became very close friends, and we're like brothers. You know. So all this time, you're building a family, career's yeah. going good. How yeah. many kids you got? Four. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had one during The Untouchables, and then slow, Internal Affairs, I had two, two girls. Yeah. And then later, the third girl, and then my son was 11 years l- younger than my youngest daughter. So I started yeah. again. As a, yeah, couple of, there were a couple of them in show business, right? My two oldest are actors. Yeah. And my youngest daughter, my two oldest girls are actors, and my youngest daughter is a model, uh-huh. and my son is a, a professional DJ. He's in New Orleans right now, yeah. Wow, all yeah. show business in a way. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever, I guess you're in no position as an actor to say, like, are you sure you want to go? Yeah, I've always, no, I never, I want to follow their passions, you know. Yeah. I tell them to prepare for the career, like if you're a doctor, you got to, you know, you got to know yeah. your shit or yeah. else, you know, you're not going to get hired. I can't help you. I mean, I could, I could call and say, hey, Mark, I, I, my daughter sent you a tape, check it out. Yeah. That's all I can do. Right. I can open a door like I open doors for Many actors that I that I admire, yeah. that I can go, hey, you need to hire this guy, you know. Yeah. But you got once you walk inside the room, you're on your own. You yeah, know? yeah. So you well, got to prepare for that. But did you also prepare them for you know like how show business comes out? It seems like sure. you they been know they very know. protective they, of your private life, you know, and and you know your public personality. You know, there there doesn't seem to be any any uh, like you know it just seems like you have a, a separation. Uh, I would, I guess so. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, people notice, so it's probably true. You know? Yeah, it's no, hard. but I do. I don't really, you know, I, I have many friends in the industry. You know, sure. I've been doing it for over thirty years, sure. I guess. Uh, and I and I, and I love the industry, and I respect it, and yeah. I have a lot of uh, friends that you make along the way. But usually in movies, you know, you have this intense relationship, and then you kind of go on your own way, and you yeah. got your family. They got the family, and they're in the world, and occasionally you might cross paths. If you're not living in the in the close vicinity of one another, yeah, it's hard to keep sort of connected physically, you know, yeah, emotionally always. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because like I always the find friendships that. are deep, even though you don't see each yeah, other. Yeah, because you're on a movie for a year. Yeah, and then you know what are you gonna do? Then you're in yeah. the foxhole. Yeah, and, you know, and you know if you've shared that that experience in the foxhole, watching each other's back and giving to one another and looking out for one another within the work, you know, yeah. and in life at that time. Yeah. That's that never goes away. That experience. And what about directing? You did the one film. You want to do more? Yeah, I did a movie, uh, The Lost City, which I directed and, and, and that started. Was a personal movie. Yeah, about Cuba, about yeah. a family. You know, about the cusp of the revolution. Yeah, because I hear you talking about the you know, the sort of the way people direct. Sounds like you want to do it more. I do. I've I've written. I enjoy directing. I've done. You know, people sometimes have called and TV shows and say, "Actors friend of mine, will you do yeah. a show?" And I go, "Yeah." I don't really pursue it like. So much in other people's material. So yeah. I, I've, the Lost City took me 16 years of my life to do it. So uh, I have a couple of projects I've written, three actually that I that I also want to direct and act in. Yeah, and I'm I'm in process of that. So I try to concentrate on on my own things to see if I can get them done. Well, that's great. And the Oceans movies were fun, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I talked to Clooney. He seems like the like the best guy in the world. Oh, he's a he's a he's a he's a mensch, you know. He yeah, really is. he really he is. is. And uh, it, we become good friends over the years. And yeah, I don't see him often, but you know, it's like kind of that kind of thing where the the mutual 
respect and warmth, you know, and, and love. Yeah. Really. I, I play, actually, I play a lot of golf with Grant Heslov, his partner. Uh-huh. I see Grant a, a lot because we're uh, you like You golfers. like the golf? Yeah. But, like, all right, before we wrap it up, though, let's talk about this, the Coppola thing. Because, I mean, you were, you know, nominated for Oscar, and that was, a, like, a big movie. And it was, an, it was an interesting movie. And, you know, you're part of a franchise that was, you know, you know changed all of our lives. Yes. So coming Definitely into changed that, my life, yeah. I mean, you know, the Godfather movies, you can still watch them. I still watch oh, them. Oh, incredible. Godfather 2, I think I watch more than anything. They're having a celebration on Tuesday of next week at Paramount. They're, they're screening Godfather 1. I guess maybe it's restored, and they're naming a street after Francis. At the, at, so it's at a Paramount. party at Paramount? Yeah. So how did that role come about? I mean, it, it, you know, that must have been like the thrill of a lifetime. It was amazing. Yeah. Because the reason I decided to make the leap to become an actor was when I saw... The culminating moment was Godfather, the first Godfather. Yeah. I had all this built up uh, interest and angst in it, and then I saw the Godfather. I said, I want, you know, like many actors or many people. Yeah. But I privately said, I want to be, I want to do, that's what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And, and that, that, that was the kind of the template. I want to yeah. try to aspire to be, to do that kind of work. Yeah. And to be in that kind of film. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's my aspiration. So how did it come about? Well, I had been working with Paramount for a while, yeah. you know, and, and and I was doing internal affairs at the yeah. time. We were like halfway through shooting the movie, so I guess they were watching dailies too, you know. And, yeah. But Frank Mancuso Sr., who's uh, it's like a second father to me, uh, to this day, he's coming over for dinner and his wife tonight. Oh yeah. Okay? Um, he is my second father. He's not even like my second. And what was he? What, he what, was a president of the studio. Yeah, yeah. So Frank Mancuso Jr., his son, who. It's like a, my brother, I think. Yeah. And he produced the Lost City. He says, hey, uh, the chief wants to come have lunch with you today. I said, great, you know. Yeah. Come over, you know, because we already had a friendship, you know. Yeah. So we're sitting down at the catering table like that, eating. And he said, what are you doing in September? This was like May. Uh-huh. I go, what are you doing this September? You got anything going on? And because he didn't he didn't stop because, because I want to talk to Francis because I want you to play Vincent in the new Godfather trilogy. Uh-huh. Now, there was already a rumor who the, that Vincent character was. Oh, you mean Sonny's son? Yeah. Illegitimate son? Yeah. Yeah. That takes over the family, you know, that gave the family yeah. to. So there was kind of like already a rumbling, and he said, I'd like you to play, uh, I'd like to talk to Francis about you playing Vincent. So I was like his choice, you know? Yeah. And I said, let me check my schedule. I'll call you back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If yeah, I, can... I don't know. September, let me check. I'll see. <laughs> so then it became a process of, you know, getting, you know, getting the part. It took it took from May to, to Labor Day weekend. I got the part on Saturday. I, was, I think I was the last person to screen test. I was trying to screen test. I met Francis once in that period of months. Yeah. What was that like? Great. He just yeah. we talked, and he says, "Oh, I saw you in the Untouchables." Yeah. And, and he would take. He had a little laptop. Yeah. Like one of the first IBM laptops. Yeah. And he, he would talk to me for a little bit, and then he kind of go to the laptop and huh. he type yeah. some stuff up, and then he keep talking. Very sweet. Francis is like, if you had your your ultimate uh, mentor, That's the you guy. know, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, teacher, philosopher. He would be the mold if you if that person is created in your mind yeah. and becomes real. That's who that person is. No kidding. He's so he his conceptual how he approaches the the art form mm-hmm. and the knowledge that he spills out of him. Yeah. Not in an arrogant way, just by you know he loves young people. He loves teaching. Yeah, you know he's yeah. like a he's like a 
there's a lot of great directors in Mount Olympus of yeah. directors. Yeah. But if I had to pick a Zeus, yeah, that's that, the that, guy, that would huh? be my Zeus. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So like in, in in that like that collaborative uh, vibe is is what happens on set. It just you know I was you know first of all I got a chance to I had, I finally got the, the screen test and yeah. I was the last guy in yeah <laughs> and uh, I did the screen test with Madeline Stowe who was great she's great she tested yeah. for uh, for the young girl for Sophie's yeah. Sophie Coppola's part what well, wasn't her part it was Winona Ryder but that uh -huh. bowed out later uh, and I was had a great partner we had had a great screen test and uh, Fred Roos who knew my work was also encouraging. Uh, Francis and he said uh, Francis would like to stay for dinner. This is up at Napa in his yeah, house. At his house, yeah. yeah. And then so I was taking my wardrobe off. By the time I got my clothes back on, Fred opened the door and said, "There's been a change of plans. You can go home." <laughs> and you were because you got the part? No, he said you can go home. That was it. Yeah, like in a, in a four minute span, I got invited <laughs> to dinner to yeah. stay for dinner yeah. and disinvited. Huh? What was that about? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and then he, uh, and then uh, the next morning, I said, you know, I knew I, I felt good about the work. I did. Yeah, I yeah, felt, sure. You know, I, I said I gave it. I couldn't have done the audition any better than I yeah, personally yeah. could. And uh, the next morning, I got a phone call saying, "You're, uh, you got the part, and uh, you need to fly back, back up because they start rehearsal Monday." You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they changed your mind again. They want to have dinner, <laughs> whatever it was. But but the, the the point being is that it took a long time from the point where. It, the head of the studio said, you're my pick for Francis to say, to make that decision, you know. And people were screen testing yeah. and, you know, everybody wanted that part. Who wouldn't want that part? Who wouldn't want that part? And and so you're the guy and then like being on set with Francis, it was great. Yeah, and Al, all of a sudden, it's kind of a bizarre thing. That's why you have to give it up to a higher order Yeah, that gives you the innocence of dreaming, dreams that are not practical. Sure. And it gives you the stamina and the stubbornness, I guess. Yeah. To keep to, going. To keep going and get in my and for me also my father always used to say, never take a step backward, not even to gain momentum. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's been my philosophy in life. I fall I've fallen down many times, but I always try to fall forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's true, and I don't know if I've ever really thought about that because I don't necessarily give it up to a, a higher order because I'm not really a, a, a spiritual guy. But, but I don't know. I I, I don't know what drives me. And it, 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 there's one thing that you, some part of me thinks like, well, there's no plan B once you get into it. You know, you're going. You yeah. know, I, but you had a family, so I don't. I imagine that was no. I, I I definitely had a plan B. I had a business. I could have gone into business and done very well. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so, but it wasn't my. It wasn't my calling, I guess. I, you know, who knows? It's like a virus; it picks you. You don't pick it. I know, and 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 hopefully, it's a you know a good virus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and if you're gonna wear a mask, let it be Zorro's mask. <laughs> you know? There you go. Well, it was great talking to you, man. Likewise, Mark. Right. Pleasure. That's it. That was nice. He's a focused guy, man. He does the work. The new movie, Big Gold Brick, is in theaters and on demand this Friday. Here, guitar, here. Here, guitar. Come here, guitar. Come here.
Summer Lives. Monkey and La Fonda and Cat Angels are everywhere, man. (laughs) 